Hi, it's your host, Jim, Dr. Jim Fitzsimmons. This is uh, another bonus episode uh, for my iTunes listeners. Uh, just to remind you, um, Dimland Radio went on the air, if you call it the air, on the internet, on ztalkradio.com way back in March 2010. And I've done 300 episodes before I put it onto iTunes. Now, I decided not to put all the old shows onto iTunes, but uh, folks had suggested that maybe I pull some best ofs or, you know, just an episode here and there and drop it in. Now, a word to the folks that are sitting in the chat room listening to this. See, I don't know if you can tell, but I have a really nasty cold. And uh, I decided that instead of doing a new show this week, uh, I would put in one of these bonus shows uh, to play on Saturday night at 11 p.m. Central on ztalkradio.com, which is when my show normally plays. Um, I've got this cold. There's no way I could do an hour-long show without sniffling and snorfling and coughing and sneezing and uh, you know crying out for death to please come and take me every couple of minutes. So I figured... Let's do this for that show, and, uh, and then have this as a bonus episode for the iTunes folks. Now, what you're going to hear is one of my earlier shows. I mean, really early shows. Uh, it's the 39th show that I did. Uh, just to put that in perspective, I've done something like, th I think, 309 shows. So, um, And this is, goes all the way back to January 15th, to, uh, 2011. Wow. So, a couple things to note. Um, you'll hear the old theme song for my show, uh, which was a song by the UK punk rock band uh, Wire, a song called Ahead. Um, it occurred to me at some point that I don't have permission to use that song. So, I have a friend who's in a band. The band is called The Yolius, and I asked him if I could use one of their songs. And he said, sure, go ahead. So, I, that's what I use now. Uh, so, you'll hear the old song. There is a tiny little glitch <laughs> after the first break. For some reason, uh, now this goes back to the days when I did this show live, uh, my iTunes was not playing the next track like it was supposed to, and there was this few-second delay of dead air, and my microphone was down, and you can, you can if you listen closely, you can hear me going... Uh, what the heck? What's going on? Come on, come on! Yeah, you can hear that. So that'll show up. Uh, and the other thing is, if you listen to my show now, you'll hear in the break there's a promotion for Dimland Radio, and there's that line in there that says, you know, Doctor Dim might even have a guest or two. And I usually say, well, don't hold your breath. But back in the the old show, I did have a couple of guests. So this show is one of the guests shows. Uh, actually, it's a two-parter. Uh, the guest is George Harab of the George, um, no, it's the Geologic Podcast. <sighs> Sorry, this cold. What can I say? Uh, George Harab is a, he's a musician, he's a songwriter, a singer, a podcaster. His podcast is really good. It's really funny. It's very well put together. Uh, he edits. <laughs> I, I don't know what that means. No, I do, but I don't do the editing. Anyway, um, I hit him up on Facebook to see if he'd be on the show, and he said, sure. And so we got it set up, and we actually talked for uh, quite a while before I got to everything that I wanted to get to, and I asked him, do you have more time? And he's sure. He gave me more time. So that's cool. Um, so before I get to, when you listen to this, before I get to the talk with 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 Geo, uh I uh, tell the story of uh, an infection that uh, I was suffering uh, at the time. Uh, it's a little gross. So this is part one. He talked enough so I could do two shows with it. So part one, this will be my Saturday night show for uh, February, whatever the date is. Um, but I'll also put it on the iTunes. And then midweek, next week, Wednesday, Thursday, I'll put up part two so that uh, another bonus episode. And hopefully by the following Saturday, 
uh, I'll be over this this crappy cold thing, and I'll be able to do a proper show for you. Because I had some stuff set up for this one, but I just I can't do it. Okay, that's enough of me rambling. This is the uh, show um, from January 15, 2011. It's uh, show number 39, the, your bonus episode. It's my interview with George Robb, part one. Um, I hope you enjoy it. Let's see if I can get that to play. Here we go. It should come up here in just a moment. And you'll enjoy the new song. Or, well, it's the old song, but there we go. All right. This is a Sit production back of the z Radio Network. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Z-Talk Radio, its affiliates, or sponsors. Wow. It's dark. Well, let's have some light on the subject. Put on your critical thinking caps. It's time for Dimland Radio on Z-Talk Radio Network with your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Tonight, tonight, is coming tonight, 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 hot damn tonight. Hey, and welcome to Dimland Radio here on the Z-Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I am your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, and I am excited tonight. Why are you excited tonight, Dim? Well, I am excited tonight because I have an interview to play for everybody uh, out there. Um, my interview is with a fellow named George Hrob. Now, you guys uh, here at ZTalk, uh, regular listeners to ZTalk, may not know uh, George Robb, as well as uh, folks who are skeptics and are part of the skeptical movement, which is uh, uh, set to take over the world in another, let's see, when we finally stamp out uh, credulity and uh, pseudoscience and all that stuff. Well, they'll take, let's see, I think we got it scheduled for about the next uh, half a million years. But when it does happen... I won't be here. Uh, anyway, no. Uh, George Robb is, um, you will tell by uh, listening to the interview that I am a fan. Uh, uh, Geo, as his fans call him and friends, um, he does a, po- a podcast called the Geologic Podcast, and he... It's just he's very talented. He's a musician. He's a singer. He's a songwriter. He's a podcaster. He's a rock on tour. I say this kind of stuff at the uh, beginning of our interview, so you'll hear it again in a moment. But before I get to that, before I get to the big time interview, I got to just tell you about something. <clears throat> you may want to disinfect your computers after this because uh, I had pink eye this week. Pink eye. I, I I I never had pink eye before. Uh, back Tuesday, um, I'm at work and it felt like I had something in my eye. You know, it's just you know like an eyelash or a bit of dust or something. And I kept looking in the mirror and I don't see anything there. So I'm trying to figure out what the heck's going on. And um, the eye starts to get this is my right eye. It starts to get redder and pink and you know starts to get like that and it also uh started to get uh, weepy you know i wasn't crying but no it, it, tears were building up and then and then the gunk the little goop that uh, shows up in the corner of your eye when you wake up in the morning well this stuff was being produced you know by the gallon well okay not that much but i would clean it out and about 10 minutes later there's more goop there it's kind of yellowish goop stuff and and it was itching and burning, and it just, oh, man. And, and I call my wife from work, and I'm telling her about it, and she says, sounds like you got pink eye. And I said, ah, that's what I was afraid of. And she um, 
she looks at uh, um, uh, something that she's got from school. We have a seven-year-old boy, uh, Hayden. Uh, he's in the second grade. And, you know, they, the school sends home stuff about head lice and ringworm and, and pink eye. And she reads the symptoms. And, and, oh, yeah, check, yep, check, check. Oh, yep, got that too. Mm-hmm, okay, so you probably have pink eye. And um, I got home, and the eye wasn't improving. And, in fact, my left eye started to feel it too. Oh, great. Uh, one of the symptoms of pink eye is when you wake up in the morning, you can't open your eye or it's difficult because the gum, uh, the gum, the goop, yeah, blech, that stuff uh, begins to cake onto your eye lashes. Ugh, I know. Ugh. So, well, I woke up in the morning and my right eye, I couldn't really open it or wash it out. I called the clinic uh, they had the nurse call me. I told her about her thing. She said, well, yeah, pink eye. We'll have a prescription for you. She told me how to use the eye drops. And after work uh, on Wednesday, I picked up the eye drops, started putting them in. This, it started to go away remarkably quickly. I will still I still have a little itching going on, but the, they're not red anymore. And uh, I'm supposed to take the stuff uh, for about 24 hours after the, the eyes clear up. So maybe tomorrow and then I'll be done. But, ugh, you know, all those years, you know, 30-something years, I'm 46, but somewhere along the time I was 10 or whatever, I started sticking my finger in my butt and then put it in my eye, you know, and I got away with it for all that time, and now it's caught up to me and I can't do that. Oh, well. <sighs> Crap. <laughs> no, sorry. No, I, I don't actually do that. But I, from what I understand... Pink eye comes from some sort of bacteria that's in poop. And uh, maybe I shook somebody's hand who hadn't washed their hand very well, or I touched some surface or something. Yeah, but it's going away. So clean off your, uh, your, your desktop there and your headphones so you don't want to have what I have. <laughs> anyway, or doesn't, uh, that doesn't work that way. It doesn't go through the computer, does it? The internets don't... Uh, drag this stuff around. Well, okay, I've talked enough. I'm going to get to this interview. This is part one. Uh, I asked George if he'd be willing to do an interview. He said he'd love to. So we set up uh, a time last uh, Thursday, and we spoke, and after about our 40 minutes, uh, you know, I t we talked for about 10 minutes, and then we started the interview proper, and after about 40 minutes, I realized I still had stuff to ask him, and then he said, sure, ask away. So I have two parts. Tonight's part one, obviously, and next week, next Saturday, I'll play part two, and both are about 40 minutes long, so I better get to it. So I'm going to take a little break, and we'll come right out of break, and it'll go right into the interview. In fact, the song, the bumper that you'll hear as we're coming out of break will be uh, one of Geo's songs, uh, and when we're done with the interview, it'll end with one of his songs as well. Go to another break, and then I'll come and wrap up the show. So uh, I'll be able to just let this run and join you guys in the chat room. Uh, it's George Robb. I hope you enjoy him. Uh, remember, he's a skeptic, so you may not agree with him if you're not so skeptical yourself or, you know, uh, or not an atheist. He's that, too. But uh, here we go. I'm going to take a break. You're at Dimland Radio here on the Z-Talk Radio Network, and I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. I'm very excited, and let's get this break going, because on the other side, George Robb. News. 100% information. 100% guarantee. I thought you might say that. <laughs> You're listening to Z Talk Radio Network. Hey, this is Tanya. 
Tanya. And this is Stacy. And we're from Morning Coffee with Tanya and Stacy. Make sure to tune in Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, as we have segments which include, but are certainly not limited to, TV University on Mondays, my useless facts every day, coffee advice, and Stacy's spontaneous outbursts, of course. We have been known to test every emotion known to man, and we want you to join in on the fun. Come get your ab workout as you join in with laughter and comedy right here on ZTalkRadio.com. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio's Redheaded Stepchild. It's Dr. Dim on Dimland Radio on the Z-Talk Radio Network. Are your friends telling you that your lack of a love life is because Mars isn't rising in the house of Jupiter and that it's just like a Sagittarius to question things? Have Suzanne Summers and Jenny McCarthy become the sole source of medical advice for your mother-in-law? Have you had to argue the fact that the efficacy of coffee enemas has not been proven by science? Has the use of the evolution is just a theory argument driven you to the point of telling your co-workers to, okay, Stop using gravity then. As dealing with dowsers, arguing with anti-vaxxers, harping on homeopathists, quarreling with collations, squabbling with Scientology, and bickering with Bigfoot left you wondering, what can I do to fight the woo? Then head on over to the James Randi Educational Foundation at www.randy.org and contribute to the Season of Reason fundraising campaign by clicking on the donate button. Every dollar you give helps fight woo the world over. Don't just get frustrated. Get involved. Donate at www.randi.org. We'll all be hornswoggled. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio Network. You don't say... Oh, what? You think you went off to college or something? On ZTalkRadio.com. That's the most amazing thing since Grandma survived the outhouse incident. time of year I weigh the way we spread good cheer and wonder if it matters one bit why we're nicer my advice sir enjoy what the day brings despite stories of kings My guest tonight is the very talented and entertaining George Hrob. George, geo to his fans, of which I am one, uh, is a musician, singer, songwriter, podcaster, raconteur, atheist, and skeptic, and I'm thrilled to welcome him to Dimland Radio. Vibraphone, Geo. Wow, Mr. Fitzsimmons, what an introduction. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. I worked on that most of the afternoon. That's great, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm glad the email I sent you got through, so that's great. Oh, uh, yeah. It's just, you know, and when I got here and got on Skype, I thought, what's his Skype address? Oh, uh, see? <laughs> it's on my email at work, and then I, uh, but it was very simple to remember, so it that's it. I'm easy to find, yes. Uh, I'm glad I gave you mine, too, just in case. So, anyway... Uh, is it okay if I call you Geo? Of course, please. Okay, so My goodness. You can call me Dim or Jim, whichever. <laughs> um, All right. Uh, let's see. I want to dig right in. And, well, as you know, I'm on. A, I'm the resident skeptic of a paranormal network, uh, Z-Talk Radio. Um, yes. And so I, when I do my show, I'm not exactly preaching to the choir. Um, they tend to like me enough to let me question everything they believe in. So uh, okay. I can't get away, but then you find me kind of interesting. But I'm curious because I've listened to your podcast, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, I've listened to your podcast, and you've told some stories about how you've had situations where you deal with believers. 
And um, in light of the, the monumental Don't Be a Dick speech given at last year's TAM by Phil Plate, um, how, how have you taken that kind of sentiment forward? How do you deal with believers whenever you're in a situation where you kind of have to deal with them? It's funny. I just, I actually just spoke with Phil Plate this afternoon. He gave me a call. We, we hadn't spoken in a while. We caught up about uh, about our holidays in New Year, and he wanted to ask about Tam Australia and things like that. And uh, we talked about the repercussions that he is still feeling from his uh, "Don't be a dick" talk, which mm -hmm. is, which is, I, I don't understand quite the uh, negative reaction that some people had to his speech. But uh, uh, I do recommend uh, your listeners go check it out if they haven't haven't heard it yet. It's available on. Uh, I think the uh, the JREF website and on YouTube and things like that. For me, you know, dealing with people that believe in whatever the belief might be, uh, the thing that I've learned over the last couple of years is to always remember that the belief doesn't necessarily define the person and that the smartest person can have the strangest belief. So that, or the, the nicest person, or the most uh, honorable person, or the most loving person, or the most caring person can have the strangest belief. And that the thing you should focus on when talking with someone who is a believer in whatever, whatever bit of woo, whatever bit of uh, religious theory, or whatever you want to talk in, that it's important to communicate with the believer and not necessarily the belief. Mm -hmm. um, it just tends to, I mean, there, there of course are limits to every line of communication that one can have with someone. If someone is in your face and they are arguing that, you know, that the sky is made out of snail shells, there gets a point where you have to kind of realize you're not going to make any kind of a difference or have any kind of an impact. And all you're going to do is going to affect yourself in a negative way by being frustrated. But I think most people are very open to talking about what they believe in and why they believe in the things they believe in. And and for me as a skeptic or me as a, someone who likes to investigate or likes to pull apart or, or understand what's going on in someone's belief system, um, the best question I can always ask is just to say, really? Like, how does that work? Mm -hmm. And often... Um, I don't want to say often, but well, yeah, often the, the the person in explaining what their belief system might be usually reaches this point where they can't quite explain or they can't get beyond a certain inconsistency in their logic or in their thinking, and they themselves recognize it as such. And for me, that that often is a is a is a step of like, okay, let's at least recognize that. You know, we've said one, two, three, and four, and step number five. Now that we have to believe for you for for what you think is true to be true, is a little shaky and tenuous, and we can both agree to that. And maybe you can make that leap across that tenuous step. Mm -hmm. You know, I I would have stopped at step number one, but at, at least it gets the person talking and being reflexive as opposed to reactive. Sure. I would rather have someone be reflexive and think. Okay, why do I think these things? Am I religious because I believe in some overarching truth, or is it more likely that this is the way I was raised and this is what I'm used to? Like, sure. okay, again, not to not to talk down necessarily on, on what anyone believes, but for me, that's the enjoyable thing. One of the, one of the I had a 45 minute conversation once with these two Christians who were really smart and erudite, and we had a lovely. Uh, interesting uh polite conversation it wasn't it wasn't banal and it wasn't boring and it wasn't you know pleasantries it was, there was meat but because we both were approaching it the, the two of them and, and and i equally were approaching it from a level of uh respect i guess maybe it's too strong of a word but it's it was a a balanced conversational field that we were both standing on where they would say stuff and I would say stuff and I would try to kind of keep them on track that what ended up happening is often when I would question something they would change the subject yeah. and that became my goal then to kind of keep them on track and to sort of focus one issue at a time and it was fun it was like it was like this this mental game of of, of ping pong which I I really enjoy and it sharpened up my own sort of sense of what I believe and why I believe the way I believe so yeah, that's kind of that's kind of my best approach is to sort of say, really? Now explain that, as opposed to, God, you're an idiot. Now sometimes <laughs> you have to say that. Sometimes you do have to say, you know, look, that thing that you believe has been dis you know, if someone is talking to me about 
vaccines and autism. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try to, it's going to take a lot more effort for me to be level-headed and to be able to say, okay, actually, you know, there are thousands of <laughs> studies that show yes. there is no connection whatsoever. And you have to be very calm. And I'll reiterate one more time. And what your understanding is a mis, you know, by Andrew Wakefield and did all this exactly. stuff is going to come out, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I can, I can get a, a, a position with something like that where I can stand my ground with a little bit more firmness and a little more maybe snark even, mm-hmm. uh, than if someone is saying, I believe Jesus is, uh, is my personal savior. Sure. You know, that, that's a totally different kind of more subjective, mm-hmm. uh, uh, conversation. Or, you know, we fake the moon landings. Yeah. You have to sigh and you have to say, okay, let's, let's think. But even in that situation to say, mm-hmm. okay, then explain, all of these points, which I'm going to present to you now, sure. you know, so yeah, that's I, kind of why I approach it. Well, good. Uh, um, um, and that, and you know, when, when Phil Plate did his speech, uh, and that had, and the fallout that came out, I know PZ Myers took him to task a little bit. Right. And, and there was, I was just looking up to find the speech and I was finding some uh, blogs on it. And there was one blog where a guy, uh, he, he transcribed a lot of the speech and he he put it up there and then he listed off where he thought Phil made some good points here. Here's where I disagree with him here. You know, down through this list and somehow Phil found that blog and he even right. put a, a, a comment on there. He says, "Hey, I really like what you did here. Um, mm. I want to, you know, I might use this in a response or something." And he said he said that he had done an early draft of the speech. In which he he took the uh, Roadhouse movie, the Zen uh, bouncer approach, sure, sure. where he says it's you know be nice until be it's nice until it's time not to be nice, exactly. Right. And he said, but then as he looked at the speech, he decided to let's narrow it to this, so it's a more of a pointed speech that right. uh, gets to what he's trying to target. Um, now, I, I was just at a, uh, a memorial service uh, last Saturday. It was for an old boss of mine who happens to have been the brother-in-law of a good friend of mine from high school. And this friend of mine from high school is a, um, is a very devout Catholic, and he's learned recently that I'm an atheist. I don't run around telling everybody I'm an atheist, but, you know, he sees it on my Facebook. And, uh, on, on your T-shirt. <laughs> no. <Right. Yeah. laughs> I do have a T-shirt that says skeptic on it. But, there you go. Okay, um, good. Anyway, but... Uh, I posted your uh, video that you did for a song that you just wrote uh, back during the Christmas season uh, that's called I Don't Believe in Christmas. Oh, okay, yeah. And he responded by commenting, well, then why do you send me Christmas cards? <laughs> I said, yeah. well, because I like Christmas and I like sending greetings to my friends and family. And, sure, sure. Um, and another, fr- another friend had just told me this. He saw it and he says, you know, he made some kind of comment and I said, did you listen to the song? Um <laughs> So, you know, because I, when I posted it on my site, I said, I said, think George gets it right here. This is, you know, this happens to be kind of what I'm thinking about. So why don't you talk about your song, I Don't Believe in Christmas? Yeah, I I was, I was, uh, I hadn't written a song in quite a while. I just released Trebuchet back in June, and that was a a five-year slog of, of writing and rewriting and, and writing and rewriting and we had 17 songs that we put on that thing and Five when I years? finished recording it and putting, yeah yeah it took a took a while um, but well it shows because it it's a really kind of good like album sorry, oh, to, thank you. sorry to talk over you George no not at all <laughs> but it's hey, a you really want to me talk over as much as you want yeah <laughs> No, thank you. Uh, uh, but it was uh, it was a, a lot of work, and and um, you know it's the most songs I've I've put on any album, and I think it's I think it's the longest album I've done too, in terms of just time. But uh, I hadn't written anything in in a while, and purposely so. I just kind of wanted to give that part of my brain a rest. And as the holiday season came up, I just thought, well, this this could be an interesting little challenge. I'm always I'm always I like for me the hardest thing to come up with is what to write about. That's always the hardest thing. For me, the details are the fun bit. The details are like, you know, th- that, that's, that's gilding the lily. I, I enjoy that part, and that's easy for me. For me, the difficult thing is the concept. So I thought, oh, well, what if we do a kind of a skeptical or atheist Christmas song, mm-hmm. but not one that's, uh, that's mean or that, or that is snarky or that is – or that – Actually, I didn't know what approach I was going to take. I just thought, let's just start singing this thing. And and what I what I ended up writing was I wanted it to kind of have this Peanuts, uh, uh, Geraldi feel, holiday feel, but have a very 
sort of non-traditional uh, lyric to it. But that says that what I believe and what a lot of my friends believe in, and that we, you know, I, I don't, the, the reason for the Christmas season is, is, is kind of silly from my personal philosophy. It's, it's, it's fiction the way I kind of see it, and it doesn't make much sense, and it's all, you know, it's subjugation of, of pagan traditions and uh, repackaging and rebranding, you know, under a Christian aesthetic, which is fine, whatever. Uh, but I love the holiday. I love the season. I, I, you know, it's because I was raised with it yeah. and because I just like that feeling. And I know it's a corporate brainwashing to a certain degree. <laughs> and it's a familial brainwashing and a religious brainwashing and a societal brainwashing. But, you know, living in the Northeast in America when it snows in December and you see pine trees that get white with white Christmas lights on it, it just does something. And it's just pleasant and lovely. You know, for me, what encapsulates the whole point of that song is there's two lines where it says, uh, um, uh, "If you if if you receive a, sm a smiling, uh, gosh, I can't remember, <laughs> I can't remember <laughs> you the line. Even remembering your own remember song. Uh, uh, if you yeah, if you basically if you get a smile from someone who once was a stranger, what's the danger? The idea mm -hmm. that you know what if at this time of year." when people hold doors for each other and smile and say happy holidays or merry christmas mm -hmm. you know if the reason for it is shaky and not that great at least at least the result is that we give each other gifts and we call friends we haven't spoken to in a while and we wish each other uh, um, uh seasons greetings and we might merge a little bit more pleasantly on the highways or we might give someone a little bit of a break because it is that holiday time so for me, the point is, you know, I don't believe in Christmas, but I love it anyway. That that's the chorus, and and that that was the idea, and and it really resonated with a lot of people. I mean, it. Uh, I got a call from uh, from from Jay from the Skeptics Guide to the Universe. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, subsequently we we've traveled a bit, so we've become pretty good friends. And he he said, I mean, it was the nicest thing he could have said. He was just like, you nailed it. You totally nailed how you know I feel and how a lot of my friends feel. And I, I it was like the best thing I could hear was that it came across as just, hey, the, the result of this religious celebration essentially is that maybe for a couple of weeks we're nicer to each other and we get gifts for each other. Mm -hmm. Like, what's okay? Yeah. All right. I mean, take it's, it. it's an actual case where the ends do justify the means in in a sense. Sure. You know, we're looking at it. So, well, as long as we're being nicer to each other. You know, what difference does it mean? What the uh, is it? What the reason for it is? Yeah, uh, yeah. To know. me, it's the final result is kind of what counts to a certain degree. You know, it's it's uh, that's the bridge. It says uh, the best of intentions never equal the gift that you got mm -hmm. for a season so lovely. I'll forgive that its reason is not. Yeah. You know that that someone. You know, for me, like one of the worst things you can say is, uh, you know, I had the best of intentions. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, you know what? Intentions are easy. Everyone has the best of intentions. I mean, who doesn't have the best of intentions? That's just that's like a given. It's the actually, you know, getting in the car and going to the store and buying the gift or wrapping it or doing whatever. That's what really kind of counts to me anyway. You know, what, this time of year we're talking about Christmas gifts, but it can be anything. You know, someone mm -hmm. saying, oh, well, I had the best of intentions. Well, it's like, of course you had the best of intentions. How would you... What would be the situation where you wouldn't have the best of intentions? Like, what would that say about you? If only in this situation I had the best of intentions. That's such a weak kind of excuse to me that, oh, I didn't carry through in the thing I promised, but I really wanted to. Oh, okay, that makes it fine. It's like, no, BS, that's, that's, that's really weak. So in this particular example, yeah, the intentions are one to celebrate a religious thing, but you know what ends up happening is, we get presents, and I love giving presents, and it's like mm -hmm. I, I really push that in the song too, of like enjoy the gifts that you give, mm -hmm. as well as the ones that you get. But that right. there's a, you know, that's a, a a scientifically proven thing that people that give stuff are actually happier mm -hmm. than, than people that get stuff. You know, it's amazing, and 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 that that's something which, if the season can be about anything, it should be about that. Oh well, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I was talking about that uh, memorial service I was at, um, and I, I talked about this on my show last week, and I just want to maybe get your take on this. Um, I mentioned that while I was at the service, and, you know, I was with this friend. Like I said, he's a devout Christ, uh, Catholic, and his wife is also. And uh, we weren't in the front row, but we were practically in the front row. Okay. And uh, meaning that the two rows in front of us were empty. 
and I had said to them, says, well, I'll just go find a place in the back. And they, because I didn't, you know, because at a Catholic Mass, you're standing, you're sitting, you're kneeling, oh, you're yeah. standing. Oh, aerobic, now, yep. Now, I'll stand, but I won't kneel. Right, yeah. And you know, so I was talking about this on the show, and so there, you know, I'm sure nobody even noticed me. They probably thought, oh, he's Lutheran or Jewish or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but, um, oh, gee, where was I going? Uh, oh, uh, the... For a while there, because I was raised Catholic, and so I I know the you know I can remember the uh, the procedure of the mass. Sure, sure. And and <clears throat> at some point in there, I was you know I'm just listening. You know, I'm not responding to what like you're supposed to. I'm not you know bowing my head or anything. I'm listening and paying attention. And I felt this something that I remembered from when I was a kid. And there's that uh, I was explaining it uh, as being that shared experience. Suddenly, you know, that feeling of community, which is, I've heard skeptics and atheists talk about this when they talk about people who have uh, uh, faith of some sort, of Mm -hmm. some religion, um, that a big factor is that feeling of belonging to the group. And I had just a little bit of that come up from where, you know, was, you know, and I did say, you know, don't worry about it. I, it wasn't a road to Damascus. I wasn't knocked from my horse. I, I went in an atheist, came out an atheist, but I, right. ha- I felt that, that little germ of, uh, this is kind of, no, it's kind of nice. We're all here for this. Right. So, um, <laughs> oh, well, that's the point. I mean, that mm-hmm. should be the point. Mm-hmm. That, that should be, that should be what all of those, gatherings are about, whether it's a Catholic Mass, whether it's a Ramadan celebration, whether it's uh, people getting together and talking about Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, that, that is the point. It is the sense of community and, and the positive feeling that one does receive from that community. And what shouldn't outweigh that is a bunch of sort of ancient superstitions and rules that tend to spoil everyone's weekend. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that, that I, humans are all about community, and that's what you feel. That's what let us survive, and that's what let us get to where we are today. You know, the, the, the sense of tribe and the sense of belonging, that's a distinctly, I mean, that's an earth characteristic. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, animals have that, to a, you know, the, 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 the wolf packs and the, mm-hmm. and, the, and the whale pods. I mean, to a, to a degree, it's, and not to anthropomorphize, but, but that's where it all comes from. Sure. So that, that is a completely understandable instinctual response to have like, oh, wow, this feels kind of nice, you mm-hmm. know, especially in a moment of like that, which I'm sure was, was imbued with sadness because of yeah. this, you know, your, your friend's passing. Um, but yeah, to have a community together like that, um, yeah, it's 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 interesting that you bring up the the kind of the Catholic aerobics. Um, <laughs> I I you know I also was raised Catholic. I was an altar boy. I did all that fun stuff. Oh, yeah. And um, I about my goodness, maybe about ten years ago, sort of stopped kneeling. I sort of took a took a stance where like you know what I'm not kneeling anymore. Mm-hmm. And then it was like you know and during prayers I'm I'm not crossing myself. We do this. For your listeners that aren't aware, the Catholics do the kind of genuflecting thing where you cross, you know, you cross, yeah. you draw a, a visible cross on your chest and on your head kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I kind of, I stopped doing that before I stopped kneeling, actually, because mm-hmm. it felt hypocritical and it felt, you know, I'm not going to partake in this, this sort of, uh, this rite uh, of Catholicism. You know, I stopped taking communion as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't want to do it just to fit in. Or to because people might say something, you know. Right. So that's kind of where it started for me. But it really came to a head at my uh, my uncle's funeral, oh, yeah. where this was uh, last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Catholic mass. Roman? My was my uncle Roman, yes, yeah. who passed away. He had cancer and he passed away. And I sent and, him an email message. Yes. Oh so, my goodness, my listeners were so unbelievably supportive, and I had on my show, I sort of said, "Hey, just send an email to my uncle to get better," because he was fighting it for a, for a while, about a year. And I mean, I got hundreds, if not thousands, of emails, which I put into a book and gave to him, and he really appreciated it. Uh, you know, again, mostly coming from non-believers and atheists. This is amazing <laughs> outpouring of support mm-hmm. and, and and good wishes, good secular wishes. Anyway, at his funeral, uh, there was a moment where the priest that was doing the service said we were all supposed to line up, walk past the casket, which was kind of in the aisle. It closed in the aisle of the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was after the viewing. This was the church service, and like walk up and kiss uh, a cross that he was holding, mm-hmm. and 
oh man, that was horrible because I, I sort of was thinking, okay, like I don't want to make anyone in my immediate family uncomfortable, right. you know, by not getting up. Cause it was going, it was like row by, it wasn't even like, come up if you want to, this is row by row. Mm-hmm. This was like, you know, like the clearing of an airplane, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I ended up getting up and I sort of stood and walked to the, walked to the front of the line. And at the, at the moment where I was supposed to kind of bend in and, and kiss the cross, I turned to the side and just put my hands on my uncle's casket and mm-hmm. kind of just walked over, you know, mm-hmm. cause it was like, it was such a, it was such an assumption on this guy's part yeah. that everyone there was Catholic and was okay with this, mm-hmm. which really bugged me too. Um, well, so yeah, so that, that turned off my sense of community to a certain degree. Yeah, well, but you don't. You also don't want to make the moment about you. Exactly. Yeah. And, so and I didn't want to. That's yeah, why I wanted to sit stand. in the back. You know. And sure. Something. Sure. Sure. And something they did that see the last time I was at a Catholic service was I don't know fifteen years ago. It was a long time ago. And it was also for a funeral, a uh, memorial. Mm-hmm. And at that time, when it came to you know the receiving of the Eucharist, going up to get communion, uh, the priest or deacon, whoever, uh, announced to the church saying that you know practicing Catholics are are invited now to, to receive communion. And so I just stayed where I was because even though I wasn't an atheist sure. at that point, I wasn't practicing. So I thought eh, I don't right. know if I should go up and. Uh, when this, when it happened this time, it was, uh, practicing Catholics come up and receive communion. Those of you of other faiths may come up, cross your hands across your chest, and we'll give you a blessing. And, well, I didn't go up for either. It's like, I, I can't. I can't, I, I'm sorry. If you want to give me a blessing from the altar, yeah. wave your hand at me, that's fine. But, and my friend, at some point when he was, uh, when the communion was going through, uh, people who listened last week, they're getting a review of this again. But anyway, uh, right. when the communion was going was taking place, they came, he and his wife came back to the pew and they knelt, and um, and I was sitting. I didn't kneel. I was sat, and uh, he leaned back to me and said, "I'm praying for you." And mm. I said, "Okay, yeah. thanks." <laughs> I said, yep. "Okay, that's and, it means those something of to you, you." Those of you with no faith can go wait in the parking lot, please. <laughs> yeah. I know it's it's presumptive and it's yeah it's like you know what don't don't pray for me you know what in in why don't you gather up those minutes of prayers that you might have for me put them all into one lump and go volunteer like at a you know go read a blind person's mail or something why don't you do that for me well, if you want if you want to do something for me well I look at it as you know when I had it happen when I was in the chat room with one of the Z Talk shows one of the paranormal shows and somebody took some offense that they thought I was not. Uh, you know, they said they were saying a prayer for me and my wife about something, and right. I just said thanks, and I just left it at that. But somebody else brought up some, you know, how do you deal with that when somebody's saying a prayer for you? You're, you know, and I said, well, I say thanks, and so the person who said it got a little upset, and then we talked in a private chat that you can do, um, right. and I just explained just, well, you know, I know that you know, I'm not trying to sound condescending, I know that the prayer means something to you. Uh, it's important to you, and then you must think enough of me to partake in something that's important to you on my behalf. So I just say thanks. You know, it's yeah. thanks. You know, I, you know, you don't have to. I I don't believe in its <laughs> right. efficacy, but uh, you don't have. It's to. tough though because there is a little bit of a condescension that's 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 associated with that. It's kind of an implied condescension of like I know what's best, and I'm going to pray for you, and you know, even even under a situation where. You know, intercessory prayer is just so, the concept is so strange to me. The idea, this, it just seems so self-important on on one level. On another level, I understand its meditative power. I understand its calming effect. I understand it's someone's desire to feel like they are helping. Mm -hmm. I I get that. Mm -hmm. But there seems to be so many more tangible ways that one could actually help that are way more difficult, but maybe way more effective. You know, so like I said, like if you could take, I mean, imagine if you took everyone's church going, you know, their, their one hour a, uh, a week mm-hmm. out of their, out of the year, 50 hours, if you could get everyone that goes to church to donate 50 hours of their time at some thing, some community, some and most of those people do that as well. I understand that, but it just seems in addition like it would be this 
ridiculous number of volunteer time mm-hmm. that could actually do something. It yeah. <laughs> could actually make you know could build a bridge or dam a, a, a river or feed. A, a, like I say, you know, my my favorite example is reading to blind people. You know, mm-hmm. like volunteer or give blood or mm-hmm. like tangible things that that are way more difficult to do than just I'm going to speak softly in my own brain for a few minutes. Well, and, and yeah, you appreciate it, but it's like mm-hmm. uh, something okay. actually quantifiable. Yeah, 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 and not and and it seems like it's a there's no there's no risk and there's no loss and there's very little effort mm-hmm. and it's like and yet the person can feel really good about themselves because it's so self satisfying of mm-hmm. like oh I'm I'm praying for you I'm doing my part and uh, uh, I I I get it I get it I just it's just it's just interesting it's just strange because if you you could take that and you could say you know, I'm going to play video games for you. Mm. You know, and you would say, "What? Like what? Like okay, thanks. I guess like that would be weird." Or mm. I'm gonna, I'm gonna comb my hair for you. You know, I'm gonna take two minutes and I'm gonna comb my hair for you. And it'll be just as effective as praying. I mean, ultimately, <laughs> you know, because whatever the big G is going to do, he's going to do. Mm-hmm. Because you know that that's an, I mean, praying in general is a, is a concept I still don't have never had explained to me really well. Mm-hmm. You know, there's that great YouTube. Uh, it's like a ten-minute discussion about why praying to a jug of milk is just as effective as praying to God. Have you ever <laughs> seen this? No, I've not seen. No, it's that great. One. Yeah, ch- check it out. It's something okay. like I-, I forget what it's called, but it essentially says that you know some prayers are answered and some prayers are unanswered, and it's not our place to know. That basically is kind of two thousand years of theology wrapped up. You know, it's that mm-hmm. some he answers, some he doesn't. When he does answer them, great. When he doesn't, it's not our place to know. So this person sort of says, "You're better off essentially praying to a a a, a gallon of milk." Because number one, you can see the you can see the milk. Mm-hmm. Number two, it's going to answer your prayers sometimes. Sometimes it won't. When it doesn't, it's not your place to know. And and lastly, you can actually use the milk to top your cereal. So it's like it's it's this <laughs> it's this great argument. So for me, someone saying I'm going to pray for you is is equivalent to someone saying, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna play I'm gonna play Pac Man for you. I hope you get better. I'm gonna play Pac Man for you. Okay. Well, thanks. <laughs> thanks. Yeah. All <laughs> thanks right. A lot. Great. Okay. Um, you do a podcast. You've done it for what four years or so now? Yeah, we're just about approaching four years now. And you're coming just, up on the big two hundredth. Yes, the two hundredth. Any the, special the, plans? Uh, uh, ask me in a week. <laughs> Every <laughs> okay, show. I was going to ask you like, how you how much time does it take you to put it together? Because you write everything you do. I mean, you you'll pull some stuff that you get off. That you'll find your, your interesting fauna and uh, indestructible bastards, which you did today, and you, you'll right. find stuff. But then you'll write these bits, and you know, where do you find the time? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm lucky in that my day job is playing drums, so mm-hmm. I essentially work Friday, Saturday, basically. Mm-hmm. Sometimes Thursday, sometimes Sunday. Uh, so my weeks are pretty pretty wide open and free. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm constantly doing stuff. Yeah. But uh, whether it's the podcast, whether it's you know working on stuff for other people, whether it's traveling, <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's it kind of for me. Tuesday, Wednesday are sort of dedicated to the show. Tuesday does a lot of kind of prep work and writing, perhaps, and maybe recording some pre-done bits. And then Wednesday evening, you know, usually from yeah, six to midnight or so, six to ten, is the recording of the show and editing and. And maybe some more research and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've gotten to a point where it's it's pretty efficient, and I know I, I have a lovely backlog of uh, viewer questions and mm-hmm. suggestions and things like that. So that even if nothing interesting has happened to me within the week, uh, I can I can kind of go into the reserves and have something that hopefully is somewhat mildly interesting and entertaining. Well, that's cool. I mean, I have the honor of having had you answer one of my Ask George questions. Oh, okay. Well, what was it? Do you remember? It was, um, I asked you about, it was on podcast number 139. <laughs> I Ooh. wrote it down in my show <laughs> prep for this. Wow. Um, 
I asked you about a friend of mine who's way into the woo, and uh, okay. he's the guy that got me into this this radio thing. Oh right, okay. And he he kind of you know he says I've just replaced uh, being Catholic and religious, uh, having faith in God for science and skepticism, right. and I worship at the Church of Skepticism. And I wrote to you yeah. and said, how do I how do you respond to something like that? Your your answer was fantastic. Was it fantastic? Yes, yeah, it, I was. It, it was. Would be, yes. Brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant. Oh, you're amazing. <laughs> But I, I really appreciate it. I still have it in my iPod or no, uh, my iTunes at work at the office. And I every now and then I listen to it again. So, okay, now what was he talking about? Because you brought up, uh, you know, how science changes its mind. I say that on my show all the time. Ah, science yeah. has done it again. It's changed its mind again. Yep. Guess what? Yep. Yeah, I, I took this from your show and I even gave you credit. Um, the uh, Troosaurus and the Triceratops sure, is sure. the same dinosaur. Yep. It's just yep, a yep. different age. And it took science to figure that out. Right, right. And it's, really cool. And it's and you know if science makes a mistake, it's science that corrects the mistake. Absolutely, it's absolutely. That's its beauty. Yeah, self-correcting. So, um, for your podcast, you have uh, this wonderful talent of dialects and accents. When did you start developing that? Was it just a natural gift as a kid? How did how did that come about? It, it really was. I mean, I, I don't, uh, as, as, as far back as I can remember, I would always imitate and do voices and, and things like that. I think, I think being raised in a bilingual family really helped a lot too. So mm-hmm. I had kind of the Ukrainian, um, uh, sounds wrapped around my tongue as well as the English sounds and then mm-hmm. sort of imitating grandparents and, uh, the way they would speak English was, mm-hmm. was, I think that was probably really, really subconsciously influential. And then, Realizing the difference between you know a Ukrainian accent and a Russian accent and a and a French accent and an English accent, that was just something that I love the timbre. I love the I love the the properties of it, the subtleties of it. That's just something that always fascinated me. The the the, the mathematics of it really, that you could apply, you know, a certain consonant sound across across the board, uh, and it would become an accent. That was really kind of cool. This plug and play idea that if you can master a few of these, you know. Uh, fictive kind of sounds or things like that, that that would work. Um, and then the subtle differences. And then, of course, you know, uh, uh, Monty Python and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. learning learning the difference of, of English accents, that was something that was also really, really fun. And pretty early on, I mean, when I was 13, 14, you know, realizing a Welsh accent versus an Irish accent versus a London accent versus uh, whatever, mm-hmm. not being able to necessarily do them, but then being able to hear, oh, okay, yeah, it's an English accent, but there are these subtle differences. I, yeah, it's just something I always enjoyed and just had a had a bit of a knack for. So yeah, and it just it flushes out your show so much. I mean, it's, oh, thank it's you. Like, oh, this is, how does he do it? <laughs> <laughs> he can sing, he can play drums, he can write. He's you know, how does he do it? Where does he find the time? Yeah. Um, we're. I've been noticing. Uh, I think it's. Well, I want to get your take on why you think it might be happening. But it seems like atheists are making themselves more known uh, in recent years. Um, I, I can't believe how many atheist friends I have on my Facebook. Uh, right. it, it's there seems to be a, uh, a coming out of the closet, as it were, uh, of atheists. Um, how is why is that coming? And is it is it uh, there? Also, seems to be an upswing in the skeptical movement. So, what is it? Are they are they correlated, or is it? You know, what, what's going on out there, George? Yeah, I, I think we've always been here. I think the numbers have always been pretty solid, and and uh, I think your your phrase of coming out is very appropriate for this because it is. I think that there are so many interesting parallels between. Kind of the uh, American homosexual uh, 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 movement, uh, or whatever whatever you would want to call that. You know, mm-hmm. the the, the '70s were kind of a big time for that of mm-hmm. of, of gay power, and for them, uh, Stonewall was a uh, was a important thing, and Harvey Milk and things like that. Um, I think what's nice for us is that uh, as as atheists and as skeptics, we're we're not having moments of oppression that we're finally reacting against mm-hmm. you know there there is no stone wall you know or, or some some skeptical leader being killed and then a reaction which is very very fortunate mm-hmm. i think it's a combination of um there was a bit of a bit of a, a kind of a quantum moment i think when you looked at the new york times bestseller list and you had christopher hitchens 
uh, on there with God is not great. Mm-hmm. And you had uh, a, a letter to a Christian nation who's the author. I forget who wrote yeah. that. Uh, the, the Sam. Sam Harris. Thank you. Misinformation. Hey, misinformation. Through. Happy birthday. Jim says happy birthday to you, by the way. Um, yeah, Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins and all these authors all of a sudden kind of within four, five, six months and at the end of the Bush administration, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think, you know, you can kind of stretch the rubber band so far before it snaps back. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of what happened and, might, and maybe kick-started this off so that it was people that self-identified as being non-religious or atheistic or critical thinkers or humanists mm-hmm. could get a certain amount of courage to say, hey, I'm like this Sam Harris guy or I'm like this Dawkins guy or at least I like what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, what is it that, how does he label himself? Oh, it's a critical thinker or a skeptic or, you know, that, that's what happened with me and, and when I first read Michael Shermer years ago, you know, out of college when that was the first time I saw the word skeptic. I thought, oh, that's what I am. Cool. There's like, this is a pre-established thing. I think it was just that on a larger scale. So I don't think it's any kind of a conversion of people necessarily. I think it's more in the same way that depending on what statistics you read, you know, 7 to 10% of the population is homosexual. Mm-hmm. That's that's millions of people. Right. I think the same thing is that, you know, they're saying 8 to 12 to 15% of the population is non-religious, which is equal to the african-american population which is greater than the jewish population in america i mean so this is this is massive numbers of people that um intrinsically aren't ones to to uh um push their agenda you know a critically thinking person isn't one necessarily who is going to carry a placard and and protest something Mm -hmm. uh uh, inherently you know because it's not there's a there's a debating kind of balanced nature to 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 the philosophical approach of someone who's a skeptic. Uh, so just I think I think demographically we're not ones to push our agenda. I think we're ones to kind of just at least historically mm-hmm. that I think now is changing in that a we feel like it's not uh, an impossible battle or uphill anymore as much as it used to be. Uh, and, 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 and B, that there are more of us around simply because more of us are visible. So it's not so much that there are more of us around, but that more of us are open and visible and are okay with self-identifying because there have been leaders of the movement, people like Hitchens and Dawkins, that are saying, like, yeah, this is what I believe or don't believe, and it's fine. Mm-hmm. And it's fine to think these things. And we are going to fight the preconceived notions about what an atheist is or what a person without faith is because up until very recently and pretty much in 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 many quarters still that is seen as as a as a as a horrible type of existence to not have faith you know without anything with without when you lose everything at least keep your faith yeah where we say uh, actually, the first thing you should lose is that. That's the yeah. first thing that should go in the trash is your faith. And everything else should be based on evidence and trust, which is a different kind of thing. You know, it's not, it's not faith mm-hmm. that lets me know the sun will rise tomorrow. It's trust because I've seen it done every day of my life so far. It's not faith that lets me think that my, if something were to go wrong, my parents would help me out. It's trust because they've been there mm-hmm. and have done that in the past. I think faith leads to so so many problems you know mm-hmm. whether it's faith in your government faith in your officials faith in faith in your traditions faith in the way things are you know and not questioning wait a minute why can't these darker people vote <laughs> yeah. I, I, well, I have faith in the way things work. I have faith in the government. And you go, no, wait a minute. That's not where you should necessarily have any any faith and you should maybe have trust but trust is earned whereas faith is kind of just given. Cautious calls during a busy fall through the old pastimes. Recollections on the phone. 
to Z Talk Radio Network. Don't just take my word for it, but you are listening to Dimland Radio on Z Talk Radio Network. Your assignment is to listen to the buzz on Monday nights from 8 to 10 p.m. Central on ztalkradio.com. This message will self-destruct. Hey, this is Danny Potts from the Kentucky Ghost Chasers, and you're listening to Z Talk Radio. And welcome back to Dimland Radio here on the ZTalk Radio Network. That was my uh, interview with uh, George Robb, part one, anyway. Uh, you can tune in next week. I will play part two. Part two will talk more about uh, his album Trebuchet, which came out last summer. It's a really good album. The couple, of, uh, the song you heard heading out uh, of the interview, that was a song called 50 Stories, which is off of Trebuchet. Uh, the first song going in, it was his Christmas song, I Don't Believe in Christmas, which we talked about. If you were listening, you would have known that. <laughs> of course you knew that. Um, so I, oh, it looks like I timed it out pretty well. Well, look at that. Got it all in there. So, yes, next week I will have another 40 minutes or so of George Robb uh, talking some more. Uh, he is an a- excellent guest. Uh, I was so thrilled when he said, yeah, I'll, yeah I'd love to. So <laughs> being able to get it put together uh, was fantastic. Um, I'll make this quick. I'm going to make a movie recommendation. Uh, the last movie recommendation I made uh, on the show was uh, True Grit, the original, 1969, I believe it was, with uh, John Wayne, uh, Glenn Campbell, and Kim Darby. Uh, this week's movie recommendation is True Grit from two, from 2010, uh, which stars Jeff Bridges with Matt Damon and Haley Steinfeld, I believe that's her name. Uh, it, my wife and I just saw it this afternoon. It's really good. The Coen brothers really know how to make a movie. Uh... Even their movies that um, aren't as you know up to their standard, you know, might be a little substandard Coen Brothers movie. Um, even those are interesting. They they have something to them. They, I, there's just something uh, the way they do it. And this western is feels very authentic. It it uh, follows the, pretty much the original story fairly closely. There's some differences, and uh, the major difference is tone. Uh, the there's still there's humor involved in this one, but the original film had a uh, much more light-hearted kind of feel to it. If that's the way to say it, uh, this this one has just a different tone. I'm not saying it's overpress, you know, you know, uh, overbearing in its in its uh, more dark tone, but it's it's really good. Uh, you should check it out. The Coen brothers have done really well, and I wonder, I just wonder if uh, Jeff Bridges might pull a Tom Hanks here and win Best Asker, uh, Asker? <laughs> Oscar for um, uh, the Best Actor Oscar uh, two years in a row. That's Tom, uh, Tom Hanks did that uh, back there, back when he did uh, Philadelphia, and I think it was um, Forrest Gump. I think uh, the next year he won, so and he, I th- believe he was nominated the year after that. They thought, is he going to do three in a row? You know, prior to Tom Hanks, it was uh, Spencer Tracy had won two years in a row Best a- Actor Oscar. Good night, Adolfo. Oh. Good night, Frau Blucher. 
Well, I've come to an end of another uh, Dimland Radio. Uh, I, again, it was so cool to have George Rob on, and it, part two is next week. So uh, I just I'll, I, I got to get out of here. Uh, Saturday Scarefest is coming up next. Remember, everybody, be skeptical. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. This has been Dimland Radio on the Z Talk Radio Network, and I'm your host, Jim Doctor Dim Fitzsimmons. Please sleep with the lights off. We'll see you next week. has been a production of the Z-Talk Radio Network. And now, a message to our competitors. Thanks. Thanks for tuning us in.